I think, I think we're okay. I am going to do something that you may not like for me to do, but I'm going to hand out something. Now, I was going to hand this out and say, take this home and read it, but then the reality came to mind. Uh, half of you wouldn't read it. I know you because I probably, probably wouldn't read it either. So there are 40 of these, and there should be enough for every person or at least every couple just in case. Hand that out. Don't read it yet. I want to kind of set the stage for this. All right? Because I didn't come to church. You may not be a reader, but on what we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks, rather than me trying to say something, I would like for you to take about the next 15 minutes. Is everybody here relatively literate? If you're not literate, we'll have somebody read it to you in another room. All right, everybody cool? If you're literate um, and you remember your reading glasses, um, I would really like you to take the next 15 minutes, right, be, be, before we get into what the Lord has for us, to read this chapter out of this particular book. Just, just to read it, because um, you're going to encounter some information that may be new to you, um, something you, you've, you've never heard or never seen put like this, but it will begin to lay the stage and set the table for what God is doing in our church and what God is doing in his church specifically in the Western world right now. All right? So I'm All right. Hope you got most of that read. If, if not, um, you can finish it, finish it later and maybe you got at least the gist of it. How many of you learned something you didn't know? You may learn something you did not know before. Excellent. That's great news. Good. How many of you were kind of surprised? Some of you read. How many of you realize the American church has problems? How many of you know maybe now maybe why the American church has some problems? Why, where some of our issues stem from? When you read and imagined what it was like for the new, for the new church, the new, the new church that started on the day of Pentecost for the first 300 years, um, it's pretty cool, wasn't it? And you saw the shift and you saw the change. You see a direct comparison between um, relationship and religion and how it, how it worked and, and how, it, how it affected the church. Now, I want you to really let that kind of weigh on you a little bit because it's, it's, it's important that we get our mind wrapped around what we just read because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's important to understand where we are in the life of the body of Christ and what God is doing. From generation to, to generation and season to season, the Lord rebuilds his church so his kingdom can be better manifested on the earth. That's what the Lord is doing right now. Now, today, so some of you may not know this, is Ash Wednesday. Did you know that? For many in the um, mainline churches, it marks the beginning of the day or of the season of Lent. Who's ever heard of Lent. And Lent is not a biblical thing, but yet it has a very um, rich history that dates all the way back to the church before Constantine. And how do you know anything about Ash Wednesday and what it represents other than just coming down and get some ash on your forehead? It speaks to repentance. Because throughout the Old Testament, we have the imagery of oftentimes when there's a need for repentance, they would fast and what? sackcloth, which is like burlap, and ashes, a time of 
repentance. Now, I bring that up because it's, it's no accident. I think that just, this happens to be Ash Wednesday. Because in order for us to get back to where we're supposed to be, it's going to require some ashes. Something's got to burn down in order to build something back up. Are you, are you following me? I mean, something's got to go away in order for something to emerge. Now, I don't want to get into lots of historical things. I, I love church history. I've, I have studied it in depth, have a degree in it, love history. Because you get a perspective of what's happened in the last 2,000 years and what God has been doing for 2,000 years and how God operates in 2,000 years. And he's moving today and he is calling his church out of religion and he's doing something new, which really isn't new at all, is it? Because there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, someone once said, if it's new, it ain't true. If it's true, it ain't new. Because it's been done before. The ancient prophets point us back to remember the ancient paths. It was in the book of Revelation the church was encouraged, do the deeds you did at first is what will make you successful. Now, the journey that, that we've all been invited into as followers of Jesus Christ is to be a part of what God is doing right now. Who wants to be a part of what God is doing in the earth right now? I mean, at this moment, do you think God's activity is taking place right now on the earth? Absolutely. And, and we really do have the choice whether we're going to be a part of it or whether we're going to sit on the sidelines and stay part of the other. That we can stay in Constantine's Basilica or we can join the Agape Love Fest as the church met from house to house and experienced signs and wonders and power. See, those are the two places that we have the choice to be a part of. Some will choose to stay in the basilica, but some will choose the other. Something's got to burn. Something's got to go away. What God does in order to purge his church of religion is he takes his church through fire. Who believes that? That judgment comes to the house of God first. In other words, listen, um, we can rail all day long against the White House and against the Congress and against the Senate and against the Supreme Court. You can rail all day long, but God says, you know what? That's not what I'm dealing with right now. Sinners will be sinners. That doesn't surprise God. God says, what I'm after is my bride. And my intention is to come back for a bride without what? Spot or blemish. That I want her holy. I want her pure. I want her focused upon me. And guess what you are? You are part of the what? The bride of Christ. That therefore what God is doing, his fire is touching you and is touching your heart and he's touching my heart. And he's preparing us for the season in which we now live in. As he pointed out in the article, I believe he talked about that we are now entering into the third day, if you will, of the church. Days is a thousand years, a thousand years as, as the day. We're in the third millennium. You know, we're, we are living in extraordinary times when things are happening very fast. You believe that? Things are happening very quickly in the kingdom of God. What used to take a long time happens fast now. Even just the short history of our church has been rapid fire of, of what God has done because things are increasing. Jesus said in the last days, things would increase. It'd be like birth pains on a pregnant woman, right? When you get closer and closer and closer to the coming of Jesus, like contractions on the pregnant woman, it's closer and closer until the birth. 
you would have to be really done with a post not to feel the contractions that, are we, that we're experiencing globally in the earth, in politics, and around the world. It's happening around us. Things are increasing. And guess what? You're part of that. And I'm a part of that. But we need to embrace the fire of God to burn away that which is the false identity of the church to bring forth the true identity, the true bride. Because that's the bride in the last days. The church of Jesus Christ in the last days is going to be one of great power and great influence and great fire. This is the bride that Jesus is going to walk through the earth and accomplish great and mighty things in the last days. And will bring forth one of the greatest end time harvests that we've ever seen. Billions will come into the kingdom of God. We're part of that. You're a part of that. Look in your mirror. I'm a part of that. What a, an incredible time to be alive. But how many of you know fire is painful? Fire burns things up. Fire takes away an identity to bring forth a new identity. And what begins to happen to the church over time, we get religious and we get institutionalized. Thanks to Constantine, who saw a fiery cloud in the sky, which is quite debatable. His conversion is, is um, very suspect of it being genuine. Satan wants to destroy the church through religion. The Lord sets the church free through relationship with Jesus. And the fire happens when we begin to not center our mind on the church, but we begin to take a higher view begin to see the kingdom of God. Actually, the Bible speaks way more of kingdom than it does of a church. Way more. You see, one of the things that Constantine did was he, he institutionalized the church. He pulled the people out of homes and put them into basilicas and buildings. He created something called clergy and laity. And over hundreds of years, there began to be a division between ministers and common folk. That was never the intention of God. Can you tell you, we're, we're going back to what once was. And God is raising up a church in, in, in the last days, and, and, and we're a part of that. And it comes through refreshing ourselves. So over the next few weeks, as we, as we talk about the kingdom of God, it, 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 it must become something we center around because it's going to lift us out of the current condition of the, of the church, and it's going to reestablish us as part of the kingdom, and then we reinvent the church when we see the kingdom for what the kingdom is. Because churches are no more than outposts in the kingdom. We're just outposts, and we're part of a larger thing of what, of what God is doing. So tonight I want us to, to begin the journey of talking about the kingdom of God as we talk about our king. We really can't talk about the kingdom until we talk about our king. Because our kingdom that we're part of is tied up in in the king. Now, in recent times and in history, it's been popular, it's been a popular notion to look down upon monarchies and totalitarian regimes and dictatorships because of oppression and social extremes and um, corruption. We tend to, we hear that and we immediately go negative about kingdoms. In fact, this country was born out of a rebellion against what? A kingdom, wasn't it? 
It was born out of rebellion against King George III. So sometimes we can have a little bit of a, an aversion when we hear the word kingdom. I say, I'm not sure about that. That, that, sounds, that. that doesn't sound right. So we don't really pay close attention. But how many of you know it's not just the earthly kingdoms that have problems? All forms of government struggle, don't they? Whether it's a democracy or fascism or socialism, it all struggles because it comes out of the humanity that is. So let me ask you just a quick question. When Jesus comes back, and we believe he's coming back, right? When Jesus comes back, is he coming back to set up a democratic republic? Is he going to come? Is he going to appoint various leaders and, and he's going to seek consultation and there's going to be voting? He's going to set up three branches of government or five branches of government? Is that what he's coming to set up? What is Jesus coming back to set up? He is coming back to set up a kingdom. We might call it a theocracy, but he has come back to set up a kingdom. That is what Jesus is doing. Yet the kingdom reality is the only presented and preached and promoted motif in the Bible. That's, that's really all we see talked about there. Jesus' solution was never to establish a religion, but to establish a kingdom of heaven on earth. Jesus never came to establish a religion. Got that? He came to establish and extend his kingdom. And when we see the book of Acts unfolding, it is, it is the beginning of the apostles and the disciples and all those gathered in the upper room that day and all the thousands that were added that began to pray that oh-so-powerful prayer that, that Jesus taught them to pray was what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anybody remember that? Anybody learned that prayer before? We say it out of religious you know, mindset, but it's way more than that, isn't it? It's a very specific and strategic prayer that he told his disciples to pray because they were citizens of this coming kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see the book of Acts that's just bringing the kingdom of God into earth and it's expanding. Now let me just say something here because um, throughout the church, throughout Christianity, um, we have different belief systems. How many knows that? There's churches all over the place, right? We, we love to divide over different ways of believing things, right? Some churches start on, you know, we can't agree on the carpet, so we're going to start another church. The baptism pool is too cold, we'll start the church. It's just insane the things that begin to happen. But there are certain belief systems that, that we do begin to disagree on. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, we, 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 we have to wrestle with one question that we're not going to get to an easy answer for. You ready for this? Because we're called to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to advance the kingdom of God. So here's, here's the question. How far will we advance the kingdom on this earth before Jesus returns? That's a great question. And there's lots of answers for that question. You know what? When there's a lot of answers for questions, it means what? Probably <laughs> we don't know, right? The problem is we start trying to answer questions we don't know definitively, and it really messes us up. We begin to hold the truths that aren't as important as we once thought it was. The cool thing about a bunch of Baptists and a bunch of Pentecostal people coming together, we both learn from each other that some of the truths we thought were really, really important were really not that important after all. We begin to begin to realize what's really important and what's really not. What are we going to emphasize? It's not that it wasn't all true, but what we emphasized wasn't as important as what we once thought it was. Because we kind of begin to 
learn from each other. So here's the, here's the question. Lord, you've called us to advance the kingdom in the earth. How far are we going to get before you come back? Now, there's a continuum that exists within Christianity. That you're going to find different answers to that question. You're going to find some folks that kind of come from what we might want to call a, a, a hyper-reformed or hyper-Calvinistic or whatever um, term you want to attach to it. But they would simply kind of say this. You know, God is so sovereign and God is so in control. We're just going to hold out until he comes back. We really have no responsibility here on the earth. You know, God's going to save who he's going to save. He's going to send to hell who he's going to send to hell. And we're just going to hold out and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches until Jesus comes back. And we'll fly away. Some people believe that, right? It's kind of a tragedy, isn't it? And guess what? If those churches are around very long, you know what happens, don't you? They all get old and die. And then the ABC package store buys the building and they open up a... That's what happens, right? They just kind of shrivel up on the vine. We're holding out until Jesus comes because they got this idea that, you know, us being saved is all God's going to do. And, and he's going to come back and he's going he's to take care of the rest of it. All right, fine. Believe that. Now, then you have the other side of the continuum... Lots of names to describe this movement, right? Lots of, you, you can call it kingdom now. You can call it apostolic this and I mean, all these terms. But basically, that teaching says that we as believers on the earth are really the bride of Christ. Right? So we really are Jesus, right? We're kinda, we, we are Jesus, right? We're the body of Christ. So we are really going to take over the earth. We are going to really Christianize the entire planet. We're going to go into every sphere of influence and just take over. And then once we're done, Jesus said, all right, God, you got it done. I'm, I'm coming back. Now, you may believe that. If you do believe that, I'm kind of sorry for you because I'd be, I'd be very discouraged because it almost seems like we're kind of, we're sort of going down. So, so either way, I believe we're kind of like, huh, I don't know if it's this and I don't know if it's that. I feel like it's kind of somewhere in here, right? Somewhere along the point that we have a job to do and then Jesus is going to come back and finish the job. Everybody cool with that? That's my theology. We have a job to do and then Jesus is going to come back and finish the job. Everybody good everybody, everybody with that? I will never be allow myself to be nailed down on exactly when it's going to happen. But that doesn't negate the fact that we have a job to do. So we will spend time arguing over when he's coming back when the reality is we should just be doing what he's called us to do and not worry about when he's coming back, but to put our hands to the plow and get busy. Because there will be a come a time when one is taken and one is not, but they're going to be busy about the work of the Lord, not sitting back in some cerebral theological think tank pontificating on when Jesus is coming back. It's not a question we're going to get the answer to, so I spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. But what we do know is we do have a job to do right now. Is do what? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I do know when he does come back, I want to be about his business. I don't want to be messing around. I don't want to be reading another theological journal and expanding my expansive knowledge of theological rhetoric. I want to be about him. And expanding the kingdom. See, one of the identifying marks of an end-time believer is that we're going to be more concerned about building the kingdom than we are about building the church. 
Because it's easy for us to take on the idea, I can possess a church, I can own it, I can even name it after myself. Got saved in a church called Hinton Memorial United Methodist Church. That's where I got saved. Hinton Memorial United Methodist Church. The church was named after the Hintons, right? They owned the land, they gave the building. They even set up a trust fund that would dump money into the church. They even exercised like religious control from the grave. Kind of, kind of funny. We can control the church. We can never control the kingdom. That's why if we're building a kingdom, it keeps us with the right focus and the right mindset. Because to be honest with you, my job and my calling and your calling, my calling is not to build a place, a place called Newbridge. Our region and our community and our county and our city doesn't need a Newbridge. It doesn't need an IHOP. It doesn't need a Hebron Baptist. It, does, it doesn't need a Victory World. It doesn't need that. The community needs the kingdom of God advancing through kingdom citizens advancing it. And then we're a part of various outposts aligning ourselves with a kingdom purpose. Therefore, if we have a kingdom purpose, we can build alliances with kingdom people and not argue over peripheral thin ice issues. See, that's the beauty of unity. Unity can only happen amongst the people of God when we get kingdom preoccupied and not myoptic in our own church with a lowercase c. You see? So now you understand why I say, if this is indeed Ash Wednesday, something's got to be burned down and to build something back up. Jude tells us that God's word tears down and it builds up. And things got to be torn down in us. That's why I wanted us to take a little time tonight and to take a moment and read that simple chapter so we can begin to get just maybe a, a flavor of why certain things need to be torn down because they were established and built in error. You see? And God wants to tear all that down. Well, what's going to come to this place is going to be fantastic. So we're talking about then the advancement of the kingdom. This is not foreign to the scripture. It is all through scripture and it's embedded throughout. Even in the Old Testament, we begin to see the glimpses of the kingdom of God expressed in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. I'm going to show you a couple of passages here. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a what? Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God began to speak to the nation of Israel and say, listen, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be priests, but you're going to be part of a kingdom, not a religious institution but part of the kingdom. And we know as Gentiles, we were grafted into those same promises and we are part of the same kingdom that God's building today. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it's not Christmas, but it's a great passage to read. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his what? Kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I like that last part of the verse. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. What do you think of when you think of zeal? 
You know what zeal is? It's, it's, it's passionate intentionality is what it is. It's passionate intentionality. As God says, I am going to build my kingdom, and I'm all about building my kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I want to be for what God is for. I want to be on God's side, don't you? I want to be about what, I want to like what he likes. I want to engage in his projects. I want to help work on his house. I don't think I'm going to be doing my own thing. Haggai the prophet, the prophet would be raised up when, they, when he was communicating to those who came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. One of the things Haggai said, listen, you guys have stopped building the house of the Lord and you're building your own panel houses. What are you doing? Get back on task. We're called to see the, the kingdom established. Now, when we think about Jesus, most of us are accustomed to being a part of a, a church that looks more like what Constantine established than what Jesus established. Can we all freely admit that? Right? Just based on what you read, you should immediately sort of clue in. We're more accustomed to being part of Constantine's Basilica than we are Jesus' ecclesia. There's two things to be a part of, a basilica or an ecclesia. Basilicas came from Constantine. Ecclesia was the word Jesus used to describe church for the very first time when what? The gates of hell and it prevailed against the church. You see, so we got to somehow get out of the basilica and burn it down and get into the ecclesia of what God is doing. See, that's what God is doing now. He wants to be part of what God's doing now. That's what he's doing right now. But most of us tend to come out of the basilica. Therefore, we're more accustomed to viewing Jesus as our what? As our Savior, as our friend. We may even go as far and say as our bridegroom, our, our, our priest. And those are all good, but there's something that even really overarches all that, that he is our king, right? In order to allow the burning to happen, we got to move from Savior to king because it's possible to be saved and never follow the king it's possible to revel and bask in our own forgiveness and bask in that and how wonderful that is but never follow the king the captain of the host who is giving orders that we're not following he's my savior yes he is praise god but he's also your king and we're going to see what it means to be a king. Jesus declared himself to be a king, not a president, not a prime minister, not a pope, not a mayor, not a commissioner, not a senator. He declared himself what to be what? A king. So John chapter 18, this interesting conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Remember the conversation? Therefore, Pilate said to him, because remember, the Jews were accusing him of being a king in a real mockery way, right? Remember, the king of the Jews. So Pilate asked, so you are a king. Jesus answered, right? You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. 
probably didn't have much to say after that. Because Jesus didn't come to establish a kingdom that looks like an earthly kingdom. That's why Jesus really never engaged in a lot of political activism. Just so you know. I'm not saying political activism is wrong. But you're really hard-pressed to find a lot of active engagement between Jesus and the apostles in the areas of politics. They instructed you to pray for your leaders and all that kind of stuff. But they were really about building another kingdom, not kingdom lowercase k, but a kingdom uppercase k. This is why it's necessary and, and essential that we discover and desire to understand the kingdom as more than just a, just a concept or, or something we learned in the Lord's Prayer, but to really get our mind wrapped around this kingdom is actually the reality, and everything here is the temporal. The Word teaches us that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. That, in other words, every form of human government will one day collapse under the absolute, eternal, executive leadership of Jesus. And you talk about executive orders. Oh, there's going to be a bunch of them. And he's going to issue them. It's a challenge for us because we've never experienced life under this type of government before. Probably, you know, most of us in this room, maybe you're from somewhere else, I don't know, but probably most of us were not born under a monarchy. And we didn't experience it, the good and the bad and the ugly from that. We've come up under an, a, another system. So we operate out of a bit of a disadvantage. Would you agree? I don't know what it's like to live under a king. I don't know what it's like to have lived under presidents who thought they were kings, but, but they weren't. But we've never lived under a king before, have we? Therefore, part of the fire of God as we sang this beautiful song, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. We love to sing it, but what does it mean? That means something's being burned up, isn't it? If we sing that song and we mean it, we're saying, yes, God, burn up that stuff in me and change it. And part of the burning is going to come because there's a kingdom that's on fire that's going to wreak havoc with your false beliefs and false stuff that exists because you grew up in the church of Constantine and you attended basilicas. Good things happened there, but it was not an accurate reflection of what kingdom looks like. Can I tell you God's restoring that? He's doing it right now. I suggest you get on that train and be, and be part of that journey. It's foundation of God's plan for mankind is to understand the things of the kingdom. It is foundational. If we don't understand kingdom, we're just going to miss it. We're going to completely miss what God's doing. So we're taking time now to say, all right, Lord, we're going through the book of Acts. What's really going on? We're seeing miracles. We're seeing power. We're seeing people get saved. We're not seeing impotent religion. We're seeing potent power demonstrated. What's happening the kingdom is advancing. And the moment the kingdom stopped advancing was the moment Constantine took over and stopped it and banned it. I say it stopped. It It never really stopped. God was always doing his thing throughout history. But big picture, Constantine stopped it. God's bringing us back, amen. God's bringing us back to that reality. I want to stop there, and I want to pray. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to really begin to look at kingship. So we're going to take some time next week and look at some of the basics of a king. Let's, you know, let's, let's try to shed our mind of president and prime minister and senator and governor and mayor and, you know, commissioner boss hog. Let's try to get that stuff out of our mind, right? And, and refresh ourselves, all right, what is a king? 
And then we're going to talk a little bit next week about, all right, let's talk about not just what is a king, but let's talk about our king. Our king. Yes, he's our savior. Yes, he's our redeemer. But he's our king. And when we begin to see Jesus as our king, I tell you, it will change your life. It will change everything about you when you realize that we serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.